I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts, and will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants and posterity, declares the Lord. And I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. Through the prophet Isaiah, this is the pronouncement of God's judgment against Babylon. That is historical Babylon, the Babylonian empire who captured, who conquered Judah and carried the Jews into captivity uh, during the, the late period of the Old Testament. And it would come to pass, this pronounced judgment, it would come to pass in history in the year 539 BC when Babylon itself was conquered by Persia. And so God judged the enemies of his people in the Babylonian uh, empire. And the judgment of God upon uh, the Babylon of history is a mere shadow of his judgment upon the Babylon of Revelation, which, as we saw last week, represents as a symbol of uh, the city of man, that is kingdoms uh, of the world throughout this age that set themselves up against God and as a rival kingdom and perpetuate evil and idol worship. In the book of Revelation, this Babylon, this symbolic Babylon, uh, the, the, the fall of Babylon was announced by an angel back in chapter 14, verse 8. Fallen is Babylon the great, and it continued uh, in this pronouncement of, of this foretelling of judgment. And then that judgment was portrayed in the seventh bowl, uh, of, of wrath that was poured out in chapter 16, verses 18 and 19. So the, the judgment of Babylon, this earthly kingdom that sets itself up against God, uh, the judgment, the final judgment of Babylon was portrayed in that seventh bowl. In chapter 17 that we looked at last week, the, the, uh, Babylon is introduced to us as a rich, beautiful woman seated atop the beast inviting, enticing the people of the earth to commit spiritual adultery with her. And now, in chapter 18, we see the judgment earlier announced now befall the great city. So I'm going to read the whole chapter, and then I want you to see three important things that we uh, glean from, uh, from this chapter. So I'm going to read... All 24 verses of Revelation 18. So you follow along with me in your copy of the scriptures. And then there's three important realities that we need to see. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was made bright with his glory. And he called out with a mighty voice, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a dwelling place for demons a haunt for every unclean spirit, a haunt for every unclean bird, a haunt for every unclean and detestable beast. For all nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. Then I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. For her sins are heaped high as heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. 
pay her back as she herself has paid back others and repay her double for her deeds. Mix a double portion for her in the cup she mixed. As she glorified herself and lived in luxury, so give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart she says, I sit as a queen, I am no widow, and mourning I shall never see. For this reason, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine, and she will be burned up with fire, for mighty is the Lord God who has judged her. And the kings of the earth who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her will weep and wail over her when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand far off in fear of her torment and say, alas, alas, you great city, you mighty city, Babylon, for in a single hour your judgment has come. And the merchants of the earth weep and mourn for her since no one buys their cargo anymore. Cargo of gold, silver, jewels, pearls, fine linen, purple cloth, silk, scarlet cloth, all kinds of scented wood, all kinds of articles of ivory, all kinds of articles of costly wood, bronze, iron, and marble, cinnamon, spice, incense, myrrh, frankincense, wine, oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and slaves, that is, human souls. The fruit for which your soul longed has gone from you, and all your delicacies and your splendors are lost to you, never to be found again. The merchants of these wares who gained wealth from her will stand far off in fear of her torment, weeping and mourning aloud. Alas, alas for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels and with pearls. For in a single hour all this wealth has been made, has been laid waste. And all shipmasters and seafaring men, sailors and all whose trade is on the sea, stood far off and cried out as they saw the smoke of her burning. What city was like the great city? And they, drew, they threw dust on their heads as they wept and mourned, crying out, Alas, alas for the great city, where all who had ships at sea grew rich by her wealth. For in a single hour she has been laid waste. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, So will Babylon the great city be thrown down with violence and be found no more. And the sound of harpists and musicians, of flute players and trumpeters will be heard in you no more. And a craftsman of any craft will be found in you no more. And the sound of the mill will be heard in you no more. And the light of a lamp will shine in you no more. And the voice of a bridegroom and bride will be heard in you no more. More For your merchants were the great ones of the earth, and all nations were deceived by your sorcery. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Amen. In this chapter, 
portraying the fall of the city of the great prostitute, we see three important things. Babylon's depravity, Babylon's destruction, and Babylon's danger. I'm going to take those one at a time. First, the depravity of Babylon. And we're not going in any particular like sequence of verses here. These are themes that, that occur throughout this chapter. The depravity of Babylon, the, the darkness, the rebellion, the sinfulness of this great city, this great kingdom. Just a, a quick list of the ways that the, the, the depravity of Babylon is expressed. In verse 2, we have this long list of, of the uncleanness of Babylon, the impurity of Babylon. In verses 3 and 9, we see uh, the presence of idolatry, right? We, we talked last week about how sexual immorality on the part of Babylon is, is a metaphor for spiritual adultery, that is, for the worship of, of idols. And again, down in verse 9, where it says um, that uh, the kings of the earth uh, committed immorality and lived in luxury. So we see idolatry is present and at the heart of Babylon. Uh, Perhaps the most obvious one and, and pervasive uh, aspect of the depravity of Babylon throughout this chapter is, is materialism. It's greed. It's, it's luxury over and over in verse 4, in verse 7, in verses 11 through 13, in verse 16, in verse 19. Over and over it talks about the, the wealth and the luxurious living of Babylon and how all of the merchants and the seafarers and the kings of the earth flocked to her and grew wealthy themselves off of her luxury. So the, the greed and materialism uh, at the heart of the kingdom. Arrogance, pride. Verse 7, uh, the city, the, the, the prostitute says of herself, it says she glorified herself and lived in luxury. And she said, I sit as a queen. I am no widow. Mourning I shall never see. I have all that I need. Nobody can strike me. Nobody can stop me. That's the, that's the words of a kingdom, of a system, of a city that is drunk on its own glory. It, it's arrogant, it's, it's proud. There's oppression and injustice. Throughout the, the sort of greed and materialism that we see here, there's the notion that the, the poor of the earth are made poorer while the wealthy of the earth are made wealthier. So the, the riches come at the expense of the poor. And in verse 13, the most pointed uh, expression of that injustice and that oppression is when it says among the cargo that's bought and sold and traded around the, the world through Babylon are human souls, people who are enslaved. Babylon is guilty of oppression and human injustice. It's guilty of deception and sorcery. Verse 23, toward the very end, it says that all the nations were deceived by your sorcery. And guilty, finally, and from the perspective of heaven, perhaps most importantly, of the murder of God's people. Verse 24, in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. The kingdom of Babylon, this earthly city set up against God and his ways, could not be more contrary, could not be more the opposite of all that is to characterize God and his people and his kingdom. 
It is an anti-Christ kingdom. Perhaps you don't need to be reminded of God's perspective on these expressions of wickedness, but just to be clear, consider what the Bible says about these things concerning materialism and greed and the constant drive to get more stuff. Jesus warned, life does not consist in in an abundance of possessions, Luke 12, 15. Considering uncleanness and impurity, Paul says in Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Concerning arrogance and pride and self-glory, Romans chapter 1 is perhaps the most pointed and poignant chapter dealing with this reality. It tells us that, that people have rejected God in favor of worshiping their own image. It says they've worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And because of this, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So does God care about self-glory and self-worship and pride on the part of his creatures? Yes, he does. Concerning oppression and injustice, Proverbs 22, 15 and 16 says, whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. The heart of God toward these expressions of wickedness and sin and rebellion could not be more plain. And Babylon, The city of man, wherever it emerges throughout the age, is filled with these abominations, even characterized by them. What kind of a kingdom is it? Well, it's a kingdom that gets rich on people's poverty. It's a kingdom that enslaves and traps people and sells them as commodities. It's a kingdom that is known for injustice. Can there be any doubt that God's judgment will come to kingdoms such as this. And make no mistake, the wickedness of Babylon is the wickedness of man. The arrogance, idolatry, and self-glorification of Babylon's heart is man's heart. Babylon's materialistic pursuit of wealth and luxury is man's greedy pursuit. You've probably heard the saying that power corrupts. The more basic truth is that people, because of the fall, are corrupt by nature. And when corrupt people are given power, their corruption becomes systematized. That's the way that it works in a fallen world. And so Babylon is nothing less than the depravity of fallen human beings codified into law, disseminated into culture, and perpetuated in philosophy and education. You don't have to look far to see the fruit of these seeds. Can a culture that idolizes financial prosperity at the expense of the poor and marginalized avoid the reckoning of divine justice? Can a society that that kidnaps and enslaves human beings for financial gain long escape the judgment of God? 
Can a nation that calls unborn babies the product of conception and regards the senseless destruction of their innocent lives as a human right expect to stand in the day of wrath? Friends, we live in Babylon just as much as John and his original hearers lived in Babylon. Call it Rome, call it China, call it the United States, call it what you will. The kingdoms of the earth that set themselves up as a God in themselves and oppose the kingdom of Christ and his ways are Babylon. And God's heart toward that wickedness is clear and the judgment that will befall it is certain. And so the depravity of Babylon leads us to the destruction of Babylon. The destruction of Babylon. I want you to notice a few things about its destruction. First of all, notice the swiftness of judgment. The swiftness of the judgment that comes upon Babylon. Four different times throughout this chapter, the phrase in a single day or in a single hour is repeated. In verse 8, her plagues will come in a single day. Verse 10, in a single hour, your judgment has come. Verse 17, in a single hour, all this wealth has been laid waste. Verse 19, in a single hour, she has been laid waste. When the judgment of God, friends, is patient, he relents for a season. But when the judgment of God comes, it is swift. It is sudden. It befalls a city without warning, without delay, in a single day. She's been laid waste. Notice the totality of her judgment. This is seen most plainly in verses 21 through 24 at the end of the chapter where this angel announces there will no longer in Babylon be found music and celebration and art. There will no longer be found in in Babylon craftsmen who are making and fashioning things. There will no longer be found in Babylon the, the sound of the mill. That is no more manufacturing, no more creating of things, no more iPhones being produced. There is nothing being built or made anymore. In Babylon, after the judgment of God falls, there is not even the lamp, uh, the light of lamp that will shine in Babylon when the judgment of God comes. It will be plunged into utter darkness. There will be no more weddings, no more bride and bridegroom, no more joy of the wedding day and the celebration of new life and new love. There is nothing new anymore in Babylon when God's judgment comes upon it. It is a complete and utter destruction of the wicked city of man. Notice those who mourn. The ones who weep and mourn over the destruction of Babylon. In verse 9, we see uh, kings of the earth who committed immorality and lived in luxury with her. They will weep and wail over her. And they see the smoke of her burning. And they will stand far off in fear of her torment. If I get too close, I'm going to befall, or the same judgment is going to befall me. 
They're afraid that the judgment of God will come upon them as well because they know they've participated in the wickedness of Babylon. The kings of the earth, the powerful, the governors, the dictators, the presidents, right? The ones who are in positions of power and authority who have set up these kingdoms and who have uh, partnered together in idolatry and injustice. They weep, they wail, they mourn. Look at all of our wealth. It's gone. In verses 11 and 15, we see merchants of the earth. Again, weeping and mourning and again, standing far off. Lest the flames from Babylon catch them. The merchants of the earth. These are the ones who are getting rich off of Babylon's resources. Oh, the, the trade. Oh, the, the sales that can happen. Oh, the accumulation of wealth and money and stuff and power and prestige that are available. So those who have sold and bought and traded and grown rich and wealthy and powerful and self-sustaining and in need of nothing, they weep and mourn because no one buys their cargo anymore, verse 11. And that's a long list of cargo. In verses 11 through 13, you get this very comprehensive list of all kinds of goods that are sold and bought and, and traded. There's metals and there's woods and there's linens and cloths and there's spices and there's foods and there's livestock. And finally, cap, capping off the list, the end of verse 13, there's human beings who are bought and sold and traded as commodities for the accumulation of wealth. These merchants, the ones who get rich off of the luxury of Babylon, they weep, they mourn. And the final group who mourns are, are those whose trade is on the sea, verses 17 through 19, shipmasters and seafaring men and all those whose uh, sailors and all those whose trade was on the sea. They stand far off. They cry out. They weep and mourn for the very same reason. Look how great was this city. We thought no harm could ever befall this great kingdom. Have you ever heard that before? But now in a single day, She's been laid waste. And we weep and we mourn what's been lost. No more international trade. No more wealth. And finally, notice those who rejoice. Notice the ones who rejoice over the destruction of Babylon. Look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven and you saints and apostles and prophets. For God has given judgment for you against her. Might sound a little vindictive, a little capricious, a little mean-spirited to rejoice at the destruction of a people, of a kingdom, to rejoice at the, the downfall of a kingdom. But this judgment that befalls Babylon is for the sake of God's people. And we're reminded of a few things that occurred earlier in the book of Revelation. Back in chapter 6, verse 10, when the fifth seal was broken and that portion of the scroll was opened, what was revealed there was the souls of martyrs under the altar of God. And the souls of the martyrs were crying out, 
How long until you avenge us? And God says to them in that place, just a little longer until the full number of the martyrs has come in. And then the the seven trumpet judgments that happened in chapters 8 through 11 and the seven bowl judgments that occurred in chapter 15 and 16 are said in both places to issue from an angel associated with the altar where those prayers were. Right, the angel was carrying, came from the altar with golden bowls representing the prayers of the saints and he poured them out on the earth and the trumpet judgments began to sound. So we've already seen the idea that the judgments of God upon the wicked are an answer to the prayers of God's people for justice, for vengeance. So when the people, the martyrs, the people of God who have been slain and persecuted for their faith say, how long until you avenge us? Revelation 18 is the full and final and definitive answer. God has judged her for you. This is the vengeance of God. The judgment of Babylon, the swift and total destruction that comes upon the city of man in the last day is God's answer to the saints' cries for justice. And he visits his vengeance upon the corrupt systems and nations of this world for their persecution and oppression of God's people throughout the age. And so the church is called plainly to rejoice over her. Look at the burning of Babylon and while the kings and the merchants and the seafarers are weeping and mourning, Rejoice. You rejoice because the justice of God has been accomplished. The wicked have been punished. The oppression and injustice have been snuffed out. And all has been made right. We know that God in many places is quoted as saying, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Indeed, that's why he calls his people not to seek out vengeance. When we've been wronged, When somebody strikes us in the cheek, Jesus says, turn to him the other cheek also, right? If somebody steals our coat, he says, okay, we'll give him your robe too, right? The the reason we're not supposed to retaliate and, and seek vengeance is not because justice cannot be reciprocal, right? It's not because a wrongdoing doesn't deserve to be righted with a correction, with judgment. It's because we're not the ones who have the authority to do that. He is. So he doesn't say, hey, don't worry about it. No big deal. Just overlook it. What he says is leave vengeance to me. And then what he does in the end is judge the wicked city of man for all of this oppression. And he says, saints, that's for you. Their judgment is for your vindication. Rejoice over her. And so the destruction of Babylon is swift and total and it is sobering to consider. But this leads us to a final consideration, something that's very important that we, that we see in this chapter. And that's the danger of Babylon. The danger of Babylon. I need to look in verse four. There's another voice from heaven. See, the first voice that it says was, was a mighty angel with great authority. The earth was made bright with his glory. I don't think that's, that's Christ. I think that's just an angel. Christ is not 
portrayed as an angel. So we have an angel here who says, you know, fallen is Babylon. But then we have in verse 4 another voice from heaven. It's not identified, but look what it says. Come out of her, my people. An angel can't call the church my people. Only God, only Christ can call the church my people. So I think that this voice is God or the lamb from the, the throne. And he is addressing the church. He's addressing the saints. And he's saying to her, come out of Babylon. Come out of the, the wicked city, the wicked system. Lest you take part in her sins. There's a real danger that as God's people living in this broken, godless world, that we may be enticed and inclined to take part in the sins of Babylon, to, to grow rich off of the same practices, to overlook some of those injustices, perhaps even to participate in them. Come out of her surely means Separate yourself in a sense. Guard yourself. Protect yourself from participating in her sins. And this exhortation is only needed if there is an allure, an inclination of the heart toward the sins of Babylon. And so this, we shouldn't read this chapter and just go, wow, finally all those wicked people get their just desserts. We should look at our own hearts. Hey, God's calling to me here to come out. To not participate in her sins. In what way might my heart be inclined to, to, to participate in these sins? In what ways is my heart longing for more stuff? Longing for more wealth? Longing for more status and honor and reputation? In what ways is my heart sort of pleased when somebody else is pushed down a little bit? In what ways am I inclined to exalt and to worship other gods, probably not a like a physical idol that you have on a shelf, but what in your life is inclined to take the, the, the place of priority, become that deepest treasure, the thing that you think, I can't live without that. Is that God or something else? There is an allure in our hearts as fallen creatures that is prone to be enticed by Babylon and her luxury and her idolatry. Remember that the church is at the start of this book. Chapters two and three of Revelation, Jesus addressed seven congregations, each of which express various strengths and weaknesses that are very relatable, <laughs> right? We could all kind of go, oh yeah, I see myself there a little bit. I see our church there a little bit in both good ways. and. And bad ways, but but consider these churches. Ephesus was a, was a major port city, right? The goods listed in verses eleven through thirteen surely traveled the streets of Ephesus, and the Lord rebuked that church for having forsaken its first love. Could it be that they were seduced by the promise of prosperity? Their doctrine was good; they were sound theologically, but they were really pursuing reputation. Prestige, respect from their neighbors. Maybe just wanted to be a rich church, have the coolest programs, the greatest technology. 
The churches in Pergamum and Thyatira were chastised for tolerating the teachings of Balaam and Jezebel, who were both Old Testament figures that led the people of Israel into syncretism, into the worship of false gods alongside Yahweh. These Christians, it seems, were being led to join the Roman trade guild for the purpose of participating in the economic system and gaining economic wealth. But a part of doing that was to compromise their allegiance to Christ. They had to say, Caesar is Lord in order to participate in that. And Jesus calls them out on this. There's a draw. There's there's an inclination in the heart. To participate, even if it calls for compromise that we can justify to ourselves. Smyrna is economically poor, but Christ says they are spiritually rich. And meanwhile, Laodicea is the exact inverse of that, right? They think themselves to be rich and powerful and without need, but Jesus calls them wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You have no idea how needy and desperate you are because you think you have everything that you need. And so this church was puffed up in its own image. There is an inclination in the heart, even of God's people, to draw near, to play with fire, to dabble with the things of Babylon. I can maybe get just a little bit closer to the fire without getting burned, and that's utterly foolish. Jesus tells his followers in Matthew 6, 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. If you accumulate for yourself great wealth and luxury and possessions in Babylon, Guess where your heart is going to be tied? I'm with Babylon. Babylon's fate is my fate. Babylon's good is my good. So he says, don't pursue treasures on earth. Pursue treasures that last. See, Jesus knows that human hearts are prone towards self-glorification, toward accumulation of stuff, toward earthly treasures. And his exhortation to seek treasure, not on earth, but in heaven, is a merciful call, considering the swift and terrible destruction that we see will come upon man's city in the end. We don't want to participate in that judgment, right? Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. If you compromise your allegiance to Christ, if you abandon Jesus for the sake of Babylon and its wealth and its immorality, and it's idolatry, you share in the plagues that are coming upon that law. There's a warning that we need to heed. But he doesn't just say, come out of Babylon and just sort of exist in a bubble, right? He doesn't say, go live on a hill and set up a Christian commune where you can be free from any outside voices or influences. No, it's really come out of Babylon and enter Jerusalem. So we haven't gotten here yet, but in chapter 21, verse 9, we're going to meet the, the inverse, the, the, the uh, contrast uh, woman to the prostitute. Babylon is the prostitute uh, that's seated on this beast in chapter 17. And in chapter 21, verse 9, another angel that had a bowl of wrath is going to say to John, come and I will show you the bride 
the great city, Jerusalem. See, there's another city in which we are called, invited to participate. Come out of Babylon, go into Jerusalem. You see, the people of God are citizens of a different city, a different kingdom. A kingdom that's characterized not by greed for material gain, but by generosity and love. A kingdom that's characterized not by acts of immorality and uncleanness, but by lives of holiness and purity. One that's characterized not by partiality and oppression, but by justice and righteousness. A kingdom characterized not by desperate grabs for prestige and power, but by spreading blessing to all. It's characterized not by idolatry and self-glorification, but by commitment to the glory and honor of Jesus, the King. The call of Revelation is to forsake the Babylon of the beast with its power, its wealth, its forbidden pleasures, its injustice, its immorality, and instead to travel to the new Jerusalem. To set your eyes by faith upon the bride city of Jesus Christ. The city belonging to those who have tasted the goodness of the Lord. And have determined that he is 10,000 times more worthy and precious than all the earthly treasures that the city of man can pile up for you. Have you left the city of man? and given your allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom? Have you turned your back on the sinful ways of this world, indeed sin that resides in your own heart, and turned toward Jesus Christ as the true king and as your deliverer? You know, it's a trip you can make without even packing a bag. Just turn your heart to Jesus in faith. Admit to him that you're a sinner and repent. Believe in your heart that Jesus took your sin's payment upon himself at the cross and that he was raised to life again and confess Christ as Lord, as ruler, as king in your life from now on. When we do that, Colossians 1.13 tells us that God delivers us from the domain of darkness and transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Turn to Jesus in faith and that transfer is yours. And you're no longer a part of that domain of darkness, the city of man, the kingdom of Babylon. But you're a part of the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Tim Chester says, what John's readers saw all around them was the pomp and glory of Rome. But what John shows them is a prostitute drunk with the blood of the saints. And what John's readers saw was an embattled sect of ragtag Christians. But what John shows them is a magnificent garden city filled with divine glory. Which kingdom do you want to participate in? Which kingdom as a church of Jesus Christ should we represent? What ways are our hearts inclined to compromise? and to seek the wealth and the luxury and the idolatry and the immorality of Babylon. Come out of her, my people. 
It's pretty good.